0: Welcome to another episode of Ask Science Mike, it's a weekly podcast where we believe that every sincere question deserves an honest and non-judgmental response, and you can probably tell by the lack of a theme song uh, and, uh, and a, a title at the beginning of the episode that it's going to be one of my special episodes. And that's um, because I'm getting so many questions from you all about uh, the pandemic about COVID-19 and about all that's going on and and uh, what updates there are. And I've noticed that people feel overwhelmed with information and trying to discern, you know, what information is high-quality information and what information is not. And there's a lot of conspiracy theories. And so I thought today that we would talk about the most up-to-date scientific understanding of the virus and how we can mitigate it and what things could look like in the future as we go deeper into the pandemic and hopefully you know get past the debilitating portion of this pandemic Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about today we're going to go through reliable and evidence-based explanations of where we are and what may come next and as we do that, I really want you to do something important, and that's pay attention to how you feel. I want you to pay attention to your feelings and to your mental health, and I want you to take care of you. So I'm going to do my best to, um, even as we talk about difficult things, uh, I'm going to do my best to regulate my feelings. You know, you've heard me Um, share strong feelings before about how people are responding to the pandemic. I have done all my work emotionally to speak calmly as I share information with you today. But even as I do my best to stay calm, a lot of the things we talk about are going to be emotionally overwhelming. They're going to be frightening. They might make you angry. And I just want you to encourage anytime you need to, to hit pause on this podcast and take a break and take a breath. And focus on your feelings and de-escalate yourself. And I want you to do that on an ongoing basis as much as you need. This podcast will be here whenever you need it. You can listen as quickly or as leisurely as you need to. The other thing I would say is uh, this week there are some really exceptional resources in the show notes. I think I've got, oh gosh, let me look, uh, five pieces to share with you. Um, They are exceptional. And so today we are going to talk about making it to the other side of COVID 19. And um, well, I'll skip the announcements. You know, I got a lot to share, but we'll share that next week. There's some really exciting developments coming in the world of science, Mike. Uh, but let's keep this episode completely about the pandemic. So let's start with uh, something really important to me, uh, and that is how we got here in the first place you know, the response to COVID-19 across the world has varied significantly. Some places have been hit harder, and some places have been hit less hard. Some places were hit hard at first and got things under control, and some places the virus continues to just sort of, you know, spread wildly uh, with very limited control. Of course, the United States would be uh, one of the preeminent examples of that. And there is a... A writer named Ed Young, whose work uh, I um, really appreciate, and Ed is a science writer for The Atlantic, and has just released a piece called How the Pandemic Defeated America, and it is an exceptional read. That is one of the resources in the show notes. I would really encourage you to look at it. you know, I know that we've got folks from all kinds of political orientations and uh, party affiliations and non-affiliations and placings on political spectrums that listen to this program. And one of the things I know many of you enjoy is that you consider me non-political or at least non-partisan in how I present information. And there's we're, we've just reached a point where um, if we are honest... Uh, it is impossible to talk about the response to the coronavirus in the United States without significant critique of our current president Donald Trump. Um, a lot of our leadership, especially Republican leadership, both at the federal and state level, um, you know, and so you know, piece by piece in the United States, we have basically um, failed at everything. Uh, we, we've almost done as uh, as bad a job as possible in responding to this pandemic. And there's a lot of things behind that. Number one is we have this ongoing anti-intellectual bias and tradition in the United States. And uh, we are really, um, you know, we are reaping what we have sown there. Um, In that, there's a lot of people who kind of choose their beliefs. And let's be real, all humans to some degree uh, have cognitive biases and they select information that supports their existing worldview. But there's a particular type of bias uh, that's especially strong in the United States that leads to things like climate change denial. It is often very associated with religiosity or spirituality, um, if there's one thing that, you know, evangelical fundamentalists and and uh, progressive New Age spiritualists in California share in common, it is that they reject evidence readily if it conflicts with their spiritual worldview. Um, we have an anti-science bias in our society, and that sort of primed large swaths of our population to ignore good advice, and the problem is a lot of those people are in charge of the government. And so you have some percentage of the country, you know, it's a solid 30, it's kind of in for the whole thing, and then probably, you know, up to 40, 48% is in for pieces of this. Um, And it meant that as, as, as epidemiologists and virologists and, and public health experts laid out what needed to be done. Basically, we decided as a society that it sounded too hard and just didn't do it, and uh, that's that's how we got here. And so, this piece in the Atlantic, I think, is really important for everyone to read right now, not after the pandemic, right now, because it explains how you know SARS-CoV-2, the virus that makes COVID-19, is almost perfectly calibrated to exploit weaknesses in the American healthcare system. And the uh, social safety net in America, because it's uh, just bad enough; it's deadly enough to kill millions of people, but mild enough to, you know, spread without detection for a long time. Because so many people are asymptomatic uh, when they get COVID nineteen, and so it can overload hospitals. Uh, but it takes a while, and so by the time it's overloading hospitals, a lot of people are really sick, and so it's exposed. Um, the ways America really is exceptional, and not in flattering ways. Um, our poor health outcomes in our country. Um, the way the the profit based healthcare system uh, has created supply chains and capacity that are designed to handle ongoing needs, but not surges. Um, and piece by piece, how over and over. You know, when we've had time, we've squandered it through denialism. All the while, frankly, scientists uh, had a good sense of what would happen and, and generally, you know, have offered good advice. And when we compare the United States to the rest of the world, you know, very few countries did everything right. Very few. But if you did enough right, it would mitigate your mistakes. And in the United States, we just... We really didn't do anything of consequence. Um, Even our lockdown has been so half-hearted that all it's done is, it has slowed the spread, but it's also really frustrated people in the length of our lockdown. You know, we're months into our lockdowns here. Um, Because we didn't use that time to prepare for opening up after a lockdown, we can't safely open up. So we just keep tell people they have to keep uh staying in their homes and then we are not offering any income assistance or or assistance with food and housing and basic necessities so people feel forced back out and then some people a lot of people again maybe a third of the country or more um it's actually it's definitely more now that i think about we have the data to support that uh they just are you know Uh, tired of being indoors. They resent the whole thing. They don't think COVID can affect them. And we have large numbers of private gatherings that are acting as super spreader events and creating clusters of this virus across the country. So there is plenty of blame to go around in the United States um, on how this got so bad and frankly how the worst could be yet to come still. That's why I'm, I'm making this podcast right now. Uh, The reason I want you to read this piece in The Atlantic and the reason I want you to understand the fullness of how epic the failure in the United States has been is to let you know, friends, it can still get worse. This fall can absolutely, I'm talking the next six to eight weeks, could be the worst of what's happened so far. Because the other thing we're seeing is in countries where they did a good job controlling the spread. As they start to open up, COVID-19 comes roaring back. So when you're asking, when do things get back to normal, the first thing I need you to start being aware of is it's going to be a long time until things are back to normal. And to some degree, normal never returns. We're going to talk about that as we get deeper in the episode. But in terms of like how long are we going to, to be, you know, staying physically distant from people and wearing masks and having periods of lockdown, I think it's going to go solidly into 2021. Maybe, you know, summer 2022 is very plausible. We've got to manufacture and distribute a vaccine. We're finding now that the vaccine might be a double dose vaccine. You take one dose and then take another dose 30 days later. So they get to the herd immunity in the United States. You're talking about 700 million doses You've heard of the Trump administration that they've secured hopefully 100 million doses. That is not going to get us anywhere near herd immunity. Um, so this is, this is going to be a long process. And this is what I mean. Take the breaks you need for your mental health to make it through this episode. But we have got to start preparing for the long haul as a society. Which brings me to schools. You know. A lot of schools are trying to open back up. A lot of parents want their children back at school. And I have to be honest, friends. Children belong in school. Um, This is a developmental and emotional nightmare for children. They do better in socialized environments and socialized learning environments. And at the same time, I'm saying under no circumstances should schools in the United States be opening right now. Basically anywhere. Anywhere. And here's why, because we haven't controlled the spread of the disease, opening schools up now puts children at even more risk than keeping them closed does, which is a stunning indictment on us all. But I've got two pieces to share with you. I've got a piece in Forbes, new evidence suggests young children spread COVID-19 more efficiently Then adults, and it links into two pieces that go into how when children get COVID-19, or even if they're asymptomatic, they have 10 to 100 times as much virus in the nasopharynx region of their body as older children and adults. 10 to 100 times as much. And then another study went through and showed that children under 14 spread the virus more effectively than anyone else. So children, contrary to what you may have been told, actually spread the virus incredibly efficiently. We have the data to show that now. I have another, um, this is just a paper published in Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, MMWR, and uh, that does a study of a summer camp in Georgia from June 2020. This is recent data, and how quickly even with everyone being tested before they arrived, and even with all the counselors wearing masks, children not wearing masks, and in outdoor activities, how rapidly COVID-19 spread through that camp. Until we get the spread of the virus under control, it is not safe for our children to return to school. Now that's going to put some people in a difficult situation if you're in a community where schools are being opened and there is no dis- distance learning option or for families who economically distance learning is not possible they don't have high speed internet at home they don't have dedicated space to set up a child with a laptop to study and learn I believe me I am well aware of those issues and deeply concerned Again, this is exposing the tremendous systemic inequality that we have allowed to fester in the United States. And it is affecting our ability to deal with this pandemic. And here's why, friends. You might say, well, you know, if children are less likely to have a severe presentation of COVID-19, can we just send them to school anyway? Well, number one, they're going to get their parents sick. They're going to spread it. They're going to continue to get people sick who are at risk. And I don't know about you, but I could use a little break. So let's check in with our sponsors. Uh, This week's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp, which is an online counseling service, which is frankly just about perfect for this time in history when social distancing is so necessary and we are facing a mental health crisis of unmatched magnitude. BetterHelp can provide you with one of over 11,000 licensed therapist uh, for feedback, advice, and guidance from a licensed professional therapist online. It's affordable, private, anytime, anywhere. Over 1,100,000 people have signed up for this service. I really can't recommend it enough. If you go to BetterHelp.com slash Science you'll fill out a short questionnaire that will help the team at BetterHelp match you with a counselor that you're going to love. It's going to help you Face the challenges that you face in your life. And if it's not quite a fit, which is very normal, it's normal uh, to have to talk to multiple therapists to find someone who fits. BetterHelp makes that process really easy because you can request a new therapist at any time for no additional cost. And of course, the services at BetterHelp are available on a sliding scale. So if you have a loss of income from COVID-19, BetterHelp will still be able to help you. It's a wonderful service that I myself use. You can get started today by going to betterhelp.com slash science mic. The University of California, San Francisco, posted a feature called We Thought It Was Just a Respiratory Virus. This is another absolute must read. Everyone should read this. Everyone should read this. It is the latest and greatest evidence-based coverage what COVID-19 does to the body. And I'm going to summarize some findings in that piece, knowing that you're still going to go read it because it is worth your time. Fundamentally, medical researchers have been trying to figure out, why does COVID have such a strange set of symptom presentations? Why is it sometimes it's asymptomatic? And other times it looks like a respiratory infection, but other times it looks like a a gastro infection. Sometimes it causes cardiac distress or uh, organ damage. It can cause rashes and skin lesions. It can do that during the infection. It can do it long after the infection is gone. What is going on? So researchers have been digging into that. Remember, this virus is very new. I know it's changed the world. I know it feels like it's been with us forever, but this is just a brand new virus to our species. And here's some things we've learned. Number one, it looks like the way COVID makes its way into cells is through a set of protein gates known as ACE2 receptors. Uh, These are receptors that that uh, are des- part of the cell. I was about to say designed to. Little well, my creationist background seeping in. But these are uh, receptors on cells that um, you know allow uh, uh, chemical messengers to attach to a cell that help us do things like re- regulate blood pressure. And SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, uh, will use these receptors and kind of pry them open and get into the cell. And uh, it means fewer ACE2 receptors means there's a lower risk of infection is one of the leading hypotheses for why men are getting COVID-19 more than women because men have more ACE2 receptors. Um, Now here's what's interesting. You know, COVID's causing more deaths right now than influenza does generally, which is why we're shutting down economies because of it. But when we put, If you put human cells in a petri dish and introduce influenza, influenza will destroy in a very short period of time most of those cells as it gets into cells and hijacks the cells and reproduces and they explode with a bunch of influenza influenza virus, which then start killing neighboring cells. When you do that with SARS-CoV-2, guess what? It doesn't destroy cells as readily, not at all. It actually seems... Like SARS CoV 2 does a better job at reproducing itself without destroying host cells, which should speak to a more mild virus. Wow, that's confusing. What's going on? It seems coronaviruses, you know, about a quarter of common colds are caused by coronavirus. And one of the reasons we don't have a common cold vaccine is because, number one, so many viruses cause the common cold, and number two, because coronaviruses are tricky. They mutate rapidly and readily. They like to steal RNA uh, from host cells. RNA, of course, being the uh, companion molecule to DNA, the messenger that carries the instructions of DNA out into a cell. So coronaviruses, they love to steal RNA, use them for their own purposes. And it seems like in doing that, what COVID does is get our immune system to some degree to turn on our own cells. So when we see the damage in lungs, for example, from COVID-19, it appears that a lot of that is caused by our own immune cells. It's not like influenza, where your human cells are being exploded by reproducing virus. Um... This is a big insight. So even though it looks like COVID-19 is like 10 times the mortality rate of the flu, um, what it's doing is whipping our immune system into a frenzy uh, effectively. Um, And that is part of why we see such strange presentations of COVID-19. Now remember, now so far I've only talked about ACE2 inhibitors and what is happening in our lungs. When we look at COVID, COVID doesn't just uh, cause respiratory syndromes, although it does, especially for at-risk groups. We are also seeing uh, people with headaches and brain fogs and delirium and strokes from COVID, brain aneurysms. We're seeing an ocular presentation with pink eye. We're seeing, again, rash and lesions on feet. We're seeing system-wide vascular injury and inflammation. We're seeing uh, vomiting and diarrhea, stomach aches and nausea. We're seeing, of course, classic respiratory things like cough and shortness of breath, then full-on lung injury. We've been seeing people that lose their smell and sense of taste, uh, along with a possible runny nose and sore throat or sneezing. And we've seen people with weakened cardiac muscles, arrhythmias, and even heart attacks. All of these things coming from COVID-19. We're seeing heart failure. People are having heart attacks, lethal heart attacks from COVID-19. It is possible in many cases, COVID deaths are underreported. We have seen an increase in cardiac events uh, during the pandemic. So it could be there's a lot of people have COVID, we don't know it's COVID, we just think they're having a heart attack. They wouldn't have had that heart attack if it weren't for COVID-19, getting into their cardiac tissue, right? So this is a big deal. Now we think about, remember, sending kids to school. Now imagine you send your child to school and they get asymptomatic COVID, uh, but then their heart gets affected. We're seeing Children can have reduced lung or cardiovascular capacity following COVID-19, even if they had an asymptomatic symptom presentation. So even though like 80% of COVID cases are mild, 15% are severe, 5% are critical. In that non-severe category, uh, people can still have, over time, organ damage. And again, we're seeing people, an epidemic of uh, strange, uh, painful sores, splotchy purple and sores uh, on people's feet and, and red dots appearing on their toes and itching and burning. And it's COVID, uh, sometimes being called COVID toes right now. Again, and what's interesting here, this happens with a heart in, uh, infection. This can also happen with uh, the, the foot infection. Uh, n- at no point will a nasal swab or other COVID test indicate you have COVID 19. So, a false COVID test can give you a false sense of confidence here. Um, we're also seeing COVID gets in the gut diarrhea, nausea, vomiting that can last for months, come and go, very painful. Um, so it seems if you swallow the virus particles, you will not get respiratory COVID. But then COVID starts infecting what? The lining of your stomach and your intestines. And again, if you take a test for COVID and you have it in your gut, that test is likely to come back negative. You actually, what we're finding is the COVID virus has to be found in your stool. About fifty percent of patients that have COVID nineteen, also have particles in their stool, but the opposite. There's you know there can be uh, people with COVID that you don't see the particles in the stool, and then you know their nose swabs are negative the entire time. So that's a big deal. This is a, we're talking debilitating. When you have nausea or diarrhea or vomiting for months, you cannot work, you cannot care for your family, and you cannot care for yourself. And we have people who got COVID-19 early who are still struggling with these symptoms. The virus can also have neurological impacts. We're seeing people with brain fog, dizziness, delirium, strokes, We're seeing damage to kidneys, liver injuries. And so what researchers are beginning to wonder and begin to examine is how much of this is related to COVID getting in our blood supply, causing blood clots and blood clots studying throughout the body, spreading the virus throughout the body, and then multiple symptoms getting a simultaneous or asynchronous infection of COVID-19, and then some percentage of patients after the virus is no longer active in their body get multi-system inflammation syndrome, MIS-C, for COVID, where after the virus is no longer active, your immune system remains kind of uh, hypervigilant, attacks your own body's systems. So... If anyone's telling you COVID is like the flu, they are wrong. People, number one, it's it's 10 times as deadly or more. Number two, it, you can get COVID and experience disability, potentially lifetime disability from having COVID-19. And the two things I want you to have realized so far in the show is number one, in many countries, the United States included, no better response is on the way. We're kind of on our own. And number two, the more we learn about this virus, the more insidious and damaging it potentially is to the human body. So... We're not making an effective response on a national level in the United States. Countries that have made an effective response are learning they cannot actually reopen like they thought they could because COVID comes surging back. So there's kind of two strategies here. Number one, countries that contain their spread, they move into a phase of continuing to contain the virus. What does that mean? It means locking down again over and over as necessary to get the total number of cases back down, having universal masking, testing and contact tracing forever, along with social distancing, Um, and I think I already said universal masking. That's what happens for those countries. But what if you're in Brazil? I know I've got a lot of listeners in Brazil. What if you're in the United States? I have a lot of listeners in the United States. What if you're in the United Kingdom, which is going kind of split the difference between an effective and ineffective national response? What do you do in those places when you're kind of on your own? That's hard. Because extended loneliness is bad for your health. It really is. I read a paper yesterday about the effects of depression and loneliness on cognitive function. And it is staggering. Depression and loneliness, uh, you know, are very, very bad for your health, especially your brain. Uh, The health impacts of chronic loneliness and depression uh, can be compared unfavorably to smoking. So I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel trapped. Doing the right thing seems to impair my health if, if I try to go back to normal and I try to just hang out with people indiscriminately and, you know, if I were to sell tickets and do an event, uh, you know, like that, that would also be responsible. What do we do? The first thing you have to do is set up a new set of rituals. Designed to keep virus particles from getting into your system. If you're not doing proper hand washing already, get in a ritual of sanitizing your hands. A good hand washing. When I wash my hands, it takes 30 seconds. I have a rigorous, methodical scrub, lots of soap, warm water. Although if I'm, you know, going out, more than a couple times a day for various reasons, then I switch to cold water so I don't uh, injure my hands. And hand washing is important. You know, masking. Every time I, I'm out, I'm wearing a mask. Um, I don't touch my face. I don't touch, you know, my eyes, my nose, my mouth. I'm careful not to touch surfaces. So those rituals have stuck with me. Uh, we have a. A basket by our door. My whole family got the door. You just grab a mask. You go. We use reusable masks because of the environmental impact of disposable masks. Again, if you haven't heard already, I really like Atoms masks. A-T-O-M-S. Atoms masks. They're, they're exceptional. Very comfortable. Uh, very uh, well made. They're not a sponsor. I just like them. Um and then after you're kind of handling your personal covid hygiene we got to remember the 3 Cs of covid risk and those are now again this is assuming already you're handling your hand washing and your masking and not touching your face this is the baseline so then how do you how do you manage your risk Closed spaces are a risk, crowded places are a risk, and close contact is a risk. I'll say it again. Closed spaces, crowded places, and close contact. Those are the things that increase your risk of COVID-19 in terms of when other people are around. So that means if you have to go to work because of where you are, working from home is not an option. How do you mitigate a closed space with ventilation? We are seeing studies that show the simple act of opening doors and windows makes a big difference even if it's for 10 minutes out of every hour. So I can imagine if you're in the southeastern United States in August, open doors and windows uh, is going to be a hard sell in an office environment. But for 10 minutes an hour, that helps. Ventilation, as much as possible. Crowded places. How many people are around? The more crowded, the more risk, even with social distancing. You know, if I had to choose between being with five people and we're all five feet apart, or a thousand people and we're all eight feet apart, I'm going to take the first one. Especially if it's indoors. I wouldn't even, honestly, I wouldn't even go if it was indoors. But So avoiding crowds is extremely important here. And then close contact. How close am I to other people? I met a friend today. We met in a park. And uh, she showed out uh, her name's Allison Trobit, She's a great friend. And she showed me this wonderful ritual instead of uh, elbow bump, which I won't do anymore. You have to get too close. Uh, certainly not a handshake. We tapped our feet together. It was awesome because you know you, you see a person there's like this ritual. Especially if it's a good friend, you, you're used to if it's someone you would usually hug to stand there and not do anything when you meet. It just feels awkward and strange. So I just Allison, thanks for the the to, the foot the foot the foot five. I guess I don't know what to call it, but it wow, it's it certainly it felt normalizing um but so you will not be able to isolate yourself through 2022 and come out in some vaguely solid mental state and what happens i've noticed is people like go through periods where they social distance and they isolate and they can't take it anymore and then they basically like get too risky they're back to hugging and they're no mask, and they're at a party with 10 other people or 30 other people or whatever, and that's how we get clusters. So what I've tried to do is focus on something more sustainable. Remember, this is, I'm assuming, no help is on the way. Maybe we'll get another presidential administration and maybe things will get better, but, you know, maybe not. So I'm assuming the worst, which seems to be a pretty reasonable way to function so far. So what does that mean? Um, I meet people at parks. We wear our masks. We walk together. We put, you know, five feet apart. It feels normal to walk to somebody, you know, four and a half to six and a half feet shoulder to shoulder. That doesn't feel weird at all. You got your masks on, you're outdoors. The risk there is very low. Now, I meet one person at a time. Remember, crowded places is a risk. The more family units you miss, the higher the chance that someone there is going to have COVID-19 and it's going to spread. One person at a time is much safer. So, and I don't do this a lot. You know, in a busy week, I'll see two people. <laughs> and a lot of weeks, I see nobody. But um, we'll go to a park. We'll walk together. Um, uh, if there's a big picnic table, we'll sit in the opposite corners and sit and talk for a while. It's just nice to see people. When I have people over to my house, and I do, we sit in the backyard. And I have... My chair's set up in a way that I've tried to make feel kind of natural, where chairs are like 8 to 10 feet apart. So we're outdoors. We're 8 to 10 feet apart. And then people come over. They'll sit in the backyard. We'll talk for a long time, a couple hours. It's so much fun Um, just to see people again. And, you know, I like to be a good host. So I... um I will wash my hands thoroughly, I will wear a mask, and I will put on gloves, and I'll make somebody a drink, and I'll take their drink out to them and set it down on their table, and then I'll go in, I'll take my gloves off, wash my hands again, I'll come back out with my drink, we sit down, and we have a drink together, eight feet apart, outdoors. See you know what I mean? That is a risk. What I'm talking about is how do you balance social interaction, which we need to be healthy, And slowing the spread of COVID-19. I got to be honest, my goal is to get to the, I want to get to the vaccine. Because as I study the effects on the body, I don't want this virus. I don't want to get it at all. I have have multiple risk factors and you may too. And even if you don't have the risk factors, friends, we are seeing people who get COVID-19 and it affects them for. Months and it may affect them for years or longer. We simply do not know. But the the amount of organ damage in some cases is staggering. So, closed spaces, the answer is go outdoors. Crowded places, the answer is see fewer people. And close contact, the answer is spread out. Ventilate, depopulate, spread out. Those are my strategies. I still go to stores as infrequently as possible. When we get groceries, we sign up for the curbside pickup. When I get takeout at a restaurant, curbside pickup, right? Um, That's a big deal. But loneliness is a big deal, too. So if you hear me talking, you're like, I can't make it until 2021, much less summer 2022 like this. Or I have to, schools are open in our town or whatever. Ventilate, depopulate, spread out. As many of those factors as you can control, control. The ones you can't, you know, overcompensate. There's no guarantees. You can do everything right and still get COVID-19. You can also do the riskiest things and not get it. Both of those things will happen. That doesn't affect the statistical fact that the wisest strategy is to wear a mask, you know, and pay attention to the three Cs. Wash your hands frequently. Don't touch your face. Closed spaces, crowded places, and close contact are the risks for COVID-19. The answer then is to ventilate, depopulate, spread out again assuming you're washing your hands and and masking because now don't get me wrong we could still beat this virus if we organized if we did four to five weeks in the united states of a total lockdown which we have not done so far When we locked down, we locked down about halfway, believe it or not. I'm talking like a lockdown lockdown like they've done in other countries. We'd get our caseload way down, and if we use that time to ramp up our testing capacity and our contact tracing ability, and then when we started to reopen after that lockdown, did universal masking and controlled the three Cs, we could get a lot closer to normal than we are now. I just don't see that happening with our current administration. There is simply too much um, anti-intellectualism and, frankly, professional incompetence in our government right now. Um, So we'll probably, hopefully, get a new administration. they will take it more seriously. We'll have a big reset. Maybe some political fights about liberties. (laughs) Wow. Many are dying. Friends, we could still, though on the track we are now, a lot more people are going to die from this virus. I don't want you to be one of them. Don't waste your energy fighting with people. Pick your battles. Um, The people who are just hardcore deniers, set some boundaries, create distance. Get them out of your life. Uh, Limit their access to you for your safety, both physically and emotionally. And understand, this is a coronavirus. The final piece I want you to read this week is one in The Atlantic by Sarah Zhang called... The coronavirus is never going away, and it is uh, it is well resourced, well researched, based on good science. This is a coronavirus. We don't know how long immunity lasts. We don't know how effective vaccines are going to be. It is extraordinarily likely that for the foreseeable future, COVID twenty one. And COVID-25 these are named after years they're going to be a thing and at least for a little while they're likely to be more lethal than other seasonal viruses we don't know if the other uh, systemic effects of COVID will continue uh, but we need to start getting used to the idea that masks may end up becoming a permanent part of our society that uh, the kind of casual large gatherings we've done in the past Uh, They may not be possible for a long time. It won't shut our societies down. Don't get me wrong. Um, But coronaviruses are uh, tricky. They're tricky. And, um, yeah, we're going to have to adopt a more collective mindset about health and resourcing to survive the future of COVID and whatever, frankly, whatever pandemic comes next. Um, the, the, the pressures we are placing on the natural world in resourcing, um, more and more wild species are being forced into more regular contact with humans, which is, by the way, where pandemics come from. And it is likely that uh, the rate in which we experience pandemics increases and that we could have a, a pandemic very easily that is both more contagious and more deadly than COVID-19. And as dress rehearsals go, uh, we haven't fared this one well. So if you're thinking, well, what should we do in the future as we learn? Well, we need to, we need to fund pandemic response teams and keep them funded. We need to fund epidemiological and virological research, but we also need to build a functioning social safety net and a system to protect people and businesses from the disruptions that come along with a pandemic. Because what we are seeing is if people feel insecure about their access to food and housing, then they will not comply with orders designed to stop a pandemic. And why would they, right? So we've got to work together to change our policy framework. Economic inequality makes a pandemic more dangerous for everyone. That is what we're seeing in the data right now. So for a little while at least, friends, help is not coming. And you've got to take care of you. How do you do that? You wear a mask. And in fact, if you're at risk for health complications or death from COVID-19, and you have children or essential workers in your home, wear masks at home. Do more in-home sanitation. Wash your hands frequently. Don't touch your face. And be aware of the three C's, the risk factors of COVID-19. Closed spaces, crowded places, and close contact. And start designing less risky ways for you to get social contact on an ongoing basis. Is that leaning more frequently into calls and texts? I've been having wonderful video calls with friends, both here in Los Angeles and all over the country. And setting up lower risk, socially distanced, in-person opportunities for connection can help us protect the mental health fallout from this condition and this pandemic. If you've got questions about COVID-19, feel free to send them in. Uh, We've talked as a team. We're going to try to make COVID updates a regular part of the program because I'm learning it is difficult to get non-anxious, evidence-based perspectives on this pandemic And um, that's something I can do for you. So it has been great to talk with you this week, and I can't wait to talk to you again very soon. Take care, my friends. Be well.